Welcome to episode 32 of Blue Jays Happy Hour. We are back after a Rob Manfred mandated hiatus. Uh, I mean, we checked in there, but we definitely didn't drag through the labor muck. Hopefully you can forgive us that. As it is over, Andrew Stoughton, of course, joining us, joining me. Uh, what is your first impression of the fact we're going to have not only a baseball season, but a complete 162-game baseball season? That That's the really surprising part to me, honestly. Uh, I, I thought they were going to really screw this up. Uh, I thought that last or in 2020, when the owners you know, uh, saddled on 60 games and expanded playoffs, I thought, oh, maybe that's like where their pocketbooks are at. And that's obviously sort of their primary interest in any of this. Uh, so I, I thought we were in for a, a, a potentially really long, uh, long hiatus. Uh, you know, there were times of optimism, of course, but that was sort of my overriding feeling. And so the fact that they actually did get it done uh, and that we're here today with actual things to talk about. And, you know, as we're speaking, you know, Vlad's in camp and Boa's peeled and grounders and, you know, you're watching on Twitter, things like start to get back to normal is, uh, it's pretty great. You know, as, you know, if you could separate it from the details of the, the agreement, uh, and, uh, you know, as we were saying off air, like selfishly, obviously for both of us, like happy for it to be back. Uh, it, it, it's good for business for there to be a baseball season. Um, but, you know, but perhaps you know, when you get down to the details of the agreement, um, you know, I don't think the players got everything that they wanted, but they obviously, uh, wanted to go back and, uh, you know, maybe not the guys on the executive subcommittee who were, you know, the, the, I saw, was it Peter Gammons called them? The, 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 the Scott Boris kind of group or whatever, uh, which there were a lot of Boris clients there, but those were elected guys, uh, you know, guys who were not there, uh, foisted there by some, you know, <laughs> devious background figure. They were guys elected to, to represent the, uh, the whole, and, um, they didn't apparently like the deal that much, but, uh, but the rest of the players did like the rest, the rest of the player reps did. And, uh, and here we are back with baseball uh, about to take place. It's uh, it's jarring, honestly. It's uh, I wasn't quite prepared for it. Well, I mean, it was zero to 60, except for yeah. the fact that we didn't get all the transactions that we thought we would. And we'll get to that later. And it is my assumption that while this podcast is being edited and it goes out, some things may in turn happen to make it largely Un- irrelevant. But undoubtedly, we'll, undoubtedly. we'll see how that goes. We've had some <laughs> bad luck in the past. Yeah. Um. No, I, the the whole executive committee versus the most, you know, the largest percentage of the player base. I think that's a really interesting part of what happened here. Mm-hmm. My take on this, and I don't think either of us can claim to be, you know, labor experts, but you know, we've been reading along basically out of necessity through this whole process. My impression is that they didn't get a fantastic deal. They did, but you like you said, the guys largely wanted to go back and play and you know the people on that subcommittee their job is to take the bigger picture view of is this the best deal can we do better have we hit on everything we're trying to do here and accomplish in these negotiations and the average player is thinking i'd like to get money i'd like to do the thing <laughs> that i do and it's not that they the, the average player doesn't care about all the bigger picture things i don't want to position them as someone who's super selfish but they have a different mindset than someone who's specifically keyed in on these negotiations day in, day out. Like, I don't know what the average player knows about the DJ. I'm sure they know kind of like us. You know, they probably read along on Twitter. They probably text with the right people. You know, they probably know more than us. But a lot of them 
are probably thinking, you know, the international draft is, you know, I've, I've been in the league for six years. Like, why do I necessarily have to care about the international draft? That was a big sticking point that almost derailed this. There's a lot of guys who are not going to be affected by qualifying offers and free agency. Like, that is a very small subset of the population, even if it's worth a lot of money. There's a lot of things that are getting negotiated that don't really affect the majority of the players. And that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be negotiated doesn't mean that people shouldn't fight hard for them. And I understand why this executive committee probably was willing to miss some games in order to have the owner side bend a little bit more. But I can understand from a player's perspective why you feel like they have made some progress here. You know, minimum salaries is a thing they've really carried forward. And that's something that affects a huge percentage of the player base. Um, There's a couple things in there that they can point to and say they won on. And for a lot of players, that's enough to say, you know what, we got a couple of things we wanted. Things can be a little bit better. This pre-arb pool is going to be great for a lot of players, even if it isn't as big as maybe they wanted. And feeling like they didn't get totally trounced is enough to go back to work. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think you hit on the a, a great point with the minimum salary thing. Like, I think that, I mean, <laughs> as we've learned, you know, so like such a high percentage of guys in the union are, you know, in their pre-arb years. Like, that's sort of the way that, uh executives have gamed the system and i think i you know uh, don't quote me on this but i think i saw somebody i don't know if it was john becker but like like readjusted uh payrolls based on the new minimum salary and it was like a 64 million dollar increase across the league so that's you know that's compared to some of the the numbers they were haggling over like the cbt and the uh uh and the arbitration bonus pool like that's that's pretty significant and that's significant to a lot of these guys and uh and I think that they can claim victory uh, as the owners probably can as well. And I think that it, it's it's sort of it may be a pyrrhic victory. You know, it's like the, I think you're right that getting trounced is a form of victory, especially after the way the last CBA went, uh, which didn't feel good at the time, and then in practice seemed like it went even worse. Just the way that salaries had stagnated and and uh, and the teams had uh, you know weaponized various mechanisms in the CBA against players and and hopefully they've sort of clawed some of that back and, and made it a little bit more difficult for the for teams to do that or or you know just just given themselves a better chance for 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 salaries to uh, actually continue to to increase at pace with uh with with hopefully revenue but at the very least maybe inflation you know um so I, I, I yeah I, I can understand why they feel good about it I can understand why you know you know they obviously didn't get everything they wanted and, and it, the, the game it may be worse off for that. But, uh, uh, you know, that's their, that's their right to vote on and, and uh, they voted to go back. And you know what? Uh, uh, I'm pretty all right with that. Like, I, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lecture the players for, for allowing the season to happen. Uh, I am very pleased that the season is going to happen. One thing that I think was always positioned as something the owners wanted and the players were going to ultimately concede was the expanded playoffs. But I can see a scenario where that ends up working out really well for the players in terms of a lot more teams convincing themselves they're in the race and feeling some incentive to spend. Now, people have said, oh, well, the teams at the top might not spend quite as much. And that might be true. But the teams in the middle, there's probably more of them. You know what I mean? Like the number of teams incentivized to maybe spend less are the teams at the very top. You could call that, you know, two or three or four or five teams. But there's a huge wad of teams in the middle that are probably incentivized to spend more. So I wouldn't be surprised if the expanded playoff, even though it was positioned as something the owners wanted, 
could ultimately benefit the players because it should create fewer of those teams that just don't spend at all. And unless you have a salary floor, which they're not going to do without a salary cap, you'll never be able to totally take out that Pittsburgh pirate element, you know, the team that has no (laughs) interest in spending anything and is looking to cash these revenue sharing checks. And they didn't affect revenue sharing the way that they make the players wanted to, but it's going to be hard to suck that out of the game, but you can incentivize that, you know, I'm pulling a team out of the hat, but let's say like the Cincinnati reds of the world to maybe spend a little bit more, the Chicago Cubs to maybe think their rebuild is more of a retool and they can get in, uh, quicker teams like that uh, to spend a fair amount more and we'll see how it plays out over the next couple of days obviously we don't know what this new market looks like yet because nothing has happened but like you said both sides can claim victory to an extent and when that's the case that's sort of the indication of a good compromise even if it felt unsavory a lot of the way through <laughs> it certainly did and I, I think i think that you know and something i've been talking to people on twitter this morning about uh, like a, 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 not a concrete example, but like a real, like a real word, you know, cause we don't really know how the market's going to play out, but like, a, uh, an example that will hit home with Blue Jays fans is, uh, Jose Ramirez and Cleveland and, you know, Cleveland won 80 games, you know, 80 and 82 last year without, uh, without Shane Bieber for half a season. Uh, and everybody, myself, you know, happily at the, at the front of that line, uh, cheering for the Blue Jays to go get Jose Ramirez. And now with the extra playoff team, maybe that. Maybe maybe Cleveland, you know, maybe they weren't even thinking about that before, but maybe they're thinking about moving him even less right now because that could be a playoff team in a weak division with expanded playoffs, uh, and and that's you know that's something that that they're going to have to consider, and they'll probably you know the price for him probably went up, and as you say, maybe that means the Blue Jays turn to free agency and and spend more dollars rather than uh, uh, you know on somebody else, and maybe that does sort of help lift the middle. Um, I think that's maybe optimistic because because like the league is just sort of has been just so geared and built towards uh you know winning being sort of secondary to extracting money and and keeping labor costs down except for you know the the, the handful of teams um so i don't know how this new cba is going to get weaponized and and there are probably going to be all sorts of like weird weird changes that we don't notice for a while but uh but yeah i i I think that that's that's something that that is on the mind of jays fans right now as the the floodgates supposedly open for transactions though uh at the time of this recording uh they have yet to do so yeah jose ramirez was sort of in my trending on twitter box for much of last night and much of today for canada for that reason you know yeah the guardians might want to sell some new jerseys with the new name and it would be helpful to have a good player or two and the playoffs do matter to owners like getting the team to the playoffs there's a little bit of a prestige element of that there's a huge um, there's a huge financial incentive for that. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. you know, just to per- not, not just like, and, not, and, and, and knowing from experience, not just getting people through the doors at jacked up prices for playoff tickets, but that's, that's how you sell next year's season tickets. It's like the only way you can get guaranteed playoff seats is by being a season t- ticket holder next year. So that has like, a uh, the, the effect of that has a long echo rather than just being about those one series. To use an NBA comparison, like this year, the New Orleans Pelicans were well, like 10 plus games below 500 and acquired, you know, a star in CJ McCollum at the trade deadline with a view of getting into their final NBA play in spot like that changed the way teams behave. Now, is 12 enough in MLB to really change the way teams behave? We'll see. We don't know yet. I think 14 really would be. I don't know if I'd be arguing for 14, 12. Seems like maybe a little bit of a happy medium for now. You know, it's it's objectively good news for the Toronto Blue Jays. 
this is a really good team. It's not finished even, but even if they didn't make any more ads from here on out, you'd have to kind of like their chances in a 12 team playoff field. And I'm pretty sure that there are going to be some additions to the squad. So 12 teams is sort of the big news uh, from a, from a change perspective, but then also something that Blue Jays fans have talked a lot about in the last few hours is the balanced schedule. Now, not, to be fair, that's not coming this year, but it is interesting. And you tweeted about this mm-hmm. that it's like for literally decades, Blue Jays fans <laughs> have been clamoring for a more balanced schedule because being in a in a division with the Yankees, the Red Sox, and you know nowadays the Rays is a really tough thing. And maybe the Orioles will be good someday. Who's to say? Uh, but <laughs> now the team is good enough. The core is good enough. And especially with, in the context of an expanded playoff field, it doesn't feel as urgent, the need for a more balanced schedule, but going forward, the Yankees and Red Sox are, I don't want to say are always going to spend, but evidence indicates that they continually spend. I don't know if the Rays sort of advantage on being smarter than everyone is going to hold up over the long term. But this structurally looks like a difficult division for the Blue Jays. And the fact that they're going to be, you know, more reliant on games played against divisions that shouldn't be as tough. This is a really big positive for this team. Yeah, I, I think absolutely. And that's that was what my tweet was last night. It's like it, it, it would be massive. This news would be massive in like any other year except like right now this year because we were kind of like, well, the Blue Jays are going to. They're they're not playing just to squeak into the playoffs. Like they have a roster that's kind of that's built and will be built by the time all is said and done, you know, to to compete for the division and to like literally compete for the pen in the World Series. Like that's that's where they're at, which is amazing, and which is why partly why it's so awesome that they actually, you know, haven't thrown away a season needlessly. Which is, uh, but yeah, uh, you know, literally decades. Just uh, uh, like uh, going back, and uh, you can think of the Blue Jays teams that. You know, not only like the, okay, they, they, there were there are probably several examples where they would have made the playoffs under a twelve team format. I think I went through with all the when they were talking about the fourteen team thing, and there was like a ton of them. Um, but but the twelve team format, you know, if you just look at the way that they did finish, uh, there there are a lot of seasons that would have been a whole lot more fun for the Blue Jays with that extra playoff spot, uh, and also that would have changed the way they behaved at the trade deadline, I think too, and and how maybe even they you know constructed their roster going into a season uh in a good way which is uh you know not not the case you know when if you're in pittsburgh i don't think or you know there are there are 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 going to be franchises you know the rays are gonna the rays are gonna ray you know they're gonna do whatever they do no matter what they're going to trade guys before they get expensive unless they can they've never played a game and then they're gonna sign them long term uh, for for what it will eventually become peanuts um but yeah I, I like this is this is this is a pretty huge thing uh, especially because, you know, it, it, like purists won't like it. And I understand that, but I think like, especially coming from the division that the Blue Jays are in and the tough spot that they're in, like they're the one team that's, it, that has those two powerhouses that is, you know, not the sad sack <laughs> Orioles or the, you know, the, the completely, you know, different business model rays, right? Like they're, they really are a team that, that, that this will affect. And this, this means a lot to, I think, and, and. Yeah, we we shouldn't miss that. Even though right now it doesn't feel like uh, extra playoff spot. Well, that just means they'll clinch earlier. Um, and the balanced schedule too. I mean, it's not fully balanced, but they're gonna you're gonna play every team in the National League every year, uh, which is gonna take away some divisional games, uh, which is great. Fewer <laughs> fewer trips to the trop. Um, 
and just you know since everybody's playing for you know the the for the same sort of playoff spots that that's it's it only makes sense that the the um you know that, that you're competing on a on a more even playing field like like having the Jays have to compete for wild card spots while they play the Yankees and Red Sox 19 times and people in the the teams in the the central play you know play Cleveland and Detroit and, and uh, you know there's sort of a the central divisions of both leagues are kind of uh are kind of like a soft cap in a way they the the keeping the the re, keeping the alignment is uh uh, has allowed allows those teams to have sort of a false uh, ability to compete, which is you know something that they could have changed and made down the line change. Uh, and I've seen people say that this the the you know with the DH gone and there's there, you know the, the the balancing of the schedule may eventually lead to you know uh, realignment or just doing away with the ALNL and altogether, uh, which could be really interesting. And this is maybe a first step towards it, but that's you know that, that's that's for a later day for now. Um, yeah, I think it just, it really helps the Blue Jays and, uh, compete year in, year out. I don't know if it will impel them to spend, uh, you know, as much going forward if they feel it's like they have an easier path into the playoffs, but we'll see. Um, but I mean, <laughs> as, you know, selfishly as a Blue Jays fan, it's like, I cannot complain about any of this. Yeah. It's funny because honestly, if this were 15 years ago, this would be the whole podcast, like yeah. li- quite literally, like we would yeah. be talking about how badly the Blue Jays have been done in the past, how this sort of forges a brave new world for them and their their whole, you know, their whole paradigm has shifted and now they finally have the ammunition to be contenders. The situation the Blue Jays are in is really good. And so that that it doesn't feel like that, but I, I think it is a big deal in the long term. And, you know, I grew up of my formative Blue Jays teams were, you know, the Carlos Delgado, Roy Halladay, then Vernon Wells, Adam Lind, Aaron Hill type teams. And yeah, there was a ton of, you know, 85, 86 win teams that, you know, not all of them were great. Not all of them. You thought, wow, those guys really deserved a chance to go farther. (laughs) But, you know, I think of the, I, I might be wrong on the exact year. I think it's the 2008 Blue Jays that had that insane rotation with, uh, Burnett and Halliday and Markham and McGowan and Litch that was mm-hmm. sort of like the best rotation so. in the league like teams like that that sort of ended up getting lost to history uh, that should happen a little bit less with the balanced schedule and with more playoffs and you know the reality is that we think of the Blue Jays as a more successful team in recent history because of the 2015-2016 run and then in 2020 they made the playoffs in that goofy season where that wasn't really good team at all but you know you don't have to go back <laughs> too far in history to their massive postseason drought um, oh, yeah. between their World Series teams in 2015, and these changes make me believe that something like that is just less likely to happen again. And if you're right that the future holds, maybe even the AL and NL not being different, which I can totally buy because with the DH coming in, it doesn't seem like there's a reason for them to be separate. Uh, and possible realignment in the future, you know, that's even more good news for the Blue Jays because they, you know, they're up against it every year with having the Red Sox and the Yankees and the Rays there, and they're doing a heck of a job right now. So that burden doesn't feel as heavy, but it is it is a burden. It's a burden that most other teams don't have to deal with, and a little bit of the weight is going to be eased off their shoulders in the years to come. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I don't think we should apologize for for that. Like, I definitely, you know, 
I I I respect and appreciate the uh, the argument about diluting the 162 game schedule because uh, that's a that's very real and there should probably be more incentive than there is. Like the I think the the top two seeds get buys uh, in the in the new playoff format, um, which you know that's that's pretty good. That's pretty good incentive to be a, one of the top two teams in your league. But uh, uh, you know I. When I grew up, it was it, it you know there wasn't even the wild card, right? I remember those those years, and uh, uh, and that probably made more sense. But you know, if if this is what this means, it means this much to the owners to have the extra revenue, and you know we didn't get fourteen, thankfully. I think, um, you know, I, I can I understand why why other fans would be you know upset about this, but yeah, I think the Blue Jays are in a, a particular unique position where where this is just it really is great and it would have been the whole podcast uh, 15 years ago so while we're on kind of the rule tweaks a couple other ones that came up uh no more runners on second i don't know if i know anyone who is uh unhappy about that i I don't think (laughs) there's anyone that i can think of who's now this is something that might be a little bit more popular with some subset of the players because the idea of shortening games and it being less physically taxing, like that's something that benefits the players and not necessarily the fans. Um, but I don't know. So am I wrong on this? Does anyone want that zombie runner back or thought that that should be like a long-term part of the game? I, I don't think so. And I'm, I'm real soft on that issue. Like I don't mind shorter games. I don't want to be there for 17 innings. Once the, you know, once the beer tap gets closed, I'm I'm looking for the exits. <laughs> kind of, um, you know, I want to see the baseball game, obviously. But um, yeah, I, it didn't really feel like it accomplished what it was you know supposed to do. I, I guess the games were shorter, but like that only that only happens really rarely. You know, once maybe a year that you go beyond twelve innings or something like that. So, um, so yeah, I like as somebody who wasn't bothered by that in the first place, I'm even less bothered by them getting rid of it. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I, I think that, and I think that the spectrum sort of goes the other way for me who, towards people who are probably thrilled that it's gone. Yeah. And I, I don't know. It, it felt unnatural to me. I, I'm not going to mm-hmm. be militantly against it. I understand why they gave it a try. Uh, I'm happy to see it go, but I'm not, <laughs> if they hadn't removed it, I wouldn't have been furious. The nine inning doubleheaders is a little bit interesting because I find myself quite in quite enjoying the seven inning doubleheaders. When you know you have fourteen innings of baseball to sit down to, that feels manageable. Like, okay, this is what we're doing today. Uh, I'm gonna give a lot. Obviously, that's a lot of your day to give to baseball, but you can <laughs> you can do that. When you have eighteen innings, I mean, obviously it's doable. It 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 can be a lot, especially if one of those games drags on. Now, the way the Blue Jays happened to be last year where their rotation was much better than their bullpen they ended up kind of having their starters often go six innings and then one bullpen guy and i just like that like i sort of the over (laughs) both bullpen occasion if that's even remotely a word uh of baseball is something that i think does hamper the aesthetics a little bit i think the the starting pitcher as the protagonist of a baseball game is really powerful and I liked having like, oh, here's the starter, and then we're going to bring in one guy we feel good about. And so that's not really going to happen anymore. But that was very, you know, that was particular to the 2021 Blue Jays situation. That's not the structure of a seven-inning game. If anything, a lot of teams were more liable to treat it as essentially a bullpen day. So that's not an yeah. argument against it. It's just an experience I had last year. 
I again, it's not something to be outraged about, but I, I would have been happy to see them leave it at seven. Yeah, same. And uh, but I'm also happy that it's, uh, I'm fine with them bringing it back. Like, yeah, I really have no strong opinions on that one either. Like, it, I, I, I think you're right. I think it's it, you know, especially because they're going to condense the season a little bit. You know, they're not. They're you know, uh, they haven't lost a ton of time. I guess you know they've lost. Well, I mean, it's been what two like three weeks since uh, three almost four weeks since spring training should have started. Uh, so, you know, they, they are condensing the season. So there will be a lot of doubleheaders this year. And that might have been an interesting thing to, uh, uh, to implement this year because of the particular, you know, the particulars of the schedule because of the lockout. Um, but yeah, it's, it, 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 it I think it will, uh, impel teams to, to keep their starters in longer though on those days. Cause you know, you only have so many guys in the bullpen and, and like you say, with the seven inning ones, uh, last year, you could very much, you know, get away with like using a minimum of relievers um which was which was nice which you're right is aesthetically pleasing um and uh and and just time wise was nice but uh I, I, again i don't i you know it, the, it's it's not really it's not really baseball <laughs> you know it's kind of just that's not that's you know nine innings unless we're, unless all the games are going to seven innings which i probably wouldn't be against either um yeah, it probably should. They probably well, every game should probably be the same number of innings. It's interesting because I think if they had kept seven inning doubleheaders and made that permanent, then the road to potentially shortening games in the future would have been uh, easier to traverse. Now, if someone wants to bring that idea back, let's shorten baseball games. Uh, you know, they can call on a couple of weird seasons of doubleheaders, and they won't really have a lot of data to use. They won't, ha and also they'll that'll fade from the minds of fans, so they won't really have sort of sentiment to draw on. It'll be more of sort of a cold scientific calculation. This is what we believe is optimal baseball. <laughs> um, and again, there there's probably a fairly decent argument for that. Uh, I don't. I think I might be a little bit too crotchety to go for that big a shift <laughs> in the game just yet. Like, I don't think it'll ever. Yeah, I mean, but, the, the record the record book is too important, even though. All of those have been. <laughs> all those records don't mean anything anymore, anyway. They would, yeah, but, they would exhaust a hell of a lot of options for altering the shape of the game before they went to that one. I think so. Yeah. The other things that I mean, these are not in the CBA, but we heard during negotiations that the door sort of cracked open for a couple of the other rule tweaks, which is the pitch clock, which we've heard for a long time, um, the larger bases, and no ship. Now, those are actually fairly significant changes in my view. The pitch clock, I guess I'm for it in the sense that if people think pace of, pace of, pace of play is a problem, I don't feel that way as much as maybe some other people do, but I'm prepared to be wrong or in the minority. And if that's the feeling, then the pitch clock is a very tangible, like I think a lot of times they explore rule changes and they're not sure exactly what the effect will be. Uh, like the three batter rule, for instance, I don't think they had a good idea of what that would do. And the result was not very much, Right. but <laughs> with a pitch clock, you know exactly what it's going to do. Like it, that's very easy to measure the way it'll shorten games. So there is the romance of baseball is the game without the clock. And, uh, there is something to that, but I don't, I don't know. I find myself, you know, if there's a pitch clock in 2023, I'm, I'm on board with yeah, I you know I, I think the worry is injuries, right? I mean, uh, but also I think part of it is not just you know the pace of play is one thing, but also you know velocity goes up the longer pitchers wait between pitches. So if 
you know, guys take a little hit of velo from their velocity uh, because they have to, you know, get the ball to the plate a little sooner. Maybe that results in more balls in play. Uh, you know, maybe that that has, you know, a very granular, like, small effect on uh, on the overall, like, aesthetic of the game, which is, you know, sort of uh, some of the stuff they're going for. I mean, you know, for me, I would, like, the, you need all this stuff because there's, like, there's three minutes in between every half inning for commercials which uh which is which is where i would probably start to try to carve out time if we were trying to improve pace of play but obviously that's uh, that not gonna starter yeah. yeah but but i mean that to me is is, is a bigger problem than anything the, the the bullpenification is uh and you know mid mid inning pitching changes that's a those are real things but yeah I, yeah i i'm fine with the pitch clock uh i i hope that they understand the the potential impact on you know injury wise uh well enough but uh but also pitchers get hurt, like pitch clock or no. So, I mean, that's just that's going to happen. The the shift one is is an interesting one, which I'm sure I'm sure we can get into, which I, I'm not bothered by, but it but is a, a pretty fundamental change. Yeah, I am bothered by it. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I I understand the effect they think they're going to have with it, uh, but I don't know. It's weird. I hear a lot of quotes about it of people being like, you know, a hit right up the middle used to be a hit, and now that's not a hit anymore. And I understand that there is sort of a weird mental gymnastics that goes around. Like, you know, growing up watching baseball, shifts were kind of infrequent for specific left-handed sluggers. And yeah, when you see a ground ball up the middle, even today, I still think, oh, that's a single. Like, even though I know it's not a single anymore. And <laughs> right. yeah, I get that people's brains are go a little bit haywire sometimes due to the shift. But I'm just... I can't bring myself on board with the idea that, oh, this is a, strat a smart strategy and therefore let's get rid of it. Like, I don't know. I feel like there, there has to be, you know, baseball's always been about adjustments and counter punches. And I know the, oh, we got it. Hitters got to just hit it the other way is so much easier said than done. But I do kind of believe that if someone comes up with a strategy, sort of the onus is on the game itself to find the counter strategy like i don't think that the shift is this unbeatable thing that and and also sometimes the effect of it especially with right-handed hitters is overstated to begin with i just don't like it from a philosophical standpoint and uh i don't know it, it just seems <laughs> like let's make the game more vanilla let's let's take some of the thinking out of it <laughs> yeah maybe that's one way to look at it i mean well the hits up the middle i don't think it's going to change it's like i don't think they're going to put an x on the field where the players have to stand right i think it'll be like you need two infielders on either side of of, of second base and they got to start on the dirt or something like that which uh, still allows for a lot of movement there I, I i can't imagine how they would otherwise do it um and what i like an excellent tweet the other day was about uh you know, it's one thing if Joey Gallo like hits a hits a rocket and the second baseman makes a diving catch and that's the, you know that's entertaining good baseball. But when he hits it to you know the third baseman who's like a hundred feet into into the right field and it's just a routine play, you know you kind of lose some. It's like if a guy's if a guy's hitting the ball that hard and that's kind of that, that that's I think the thing about the adjustment. Like you know people, yes they should be able to adjust, but and I think that there is a fundamental problem probably with guy, how guys. You know how how they're taught and how the you know they 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 don't have you know a balanced swings and they don't you know look the other way to you know go to try to go the other way and 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 do all the things that you know I grew up and you know baseball had always kind of been about but also guys are throwing 105 and like 
Like, like, I like, I think even bunting is like when people are like, oh, just lay down. It's like, I think, I think bunting, like, bunting is so 90, hard. People have no idea how hard bunting is, is much harder than people realize. Yeah. Like, I don't think, you know, and I do appreciate that they, you know, you're right. The onus should be on the game to adjust and the players to adjust. Um, but I'm not going to miss like the, you know, the, the Brett Laurie in, in shallow right field, like making routine plays out of what would have otherwise been a hit. Like I, that, that won't, I will not miss that. So, um, it is weird. It is, it, it is, uh, you know, a concession to entertainment and, and, uh, and which takes away something about, you know, what is otherwise like a very kind of cerebral game. Um, but man, yeah, could, could use some more, could use some more hits. Yeah, use some more hits. I mean, I, I guess I might not win too many friends arguing for intellectual purity <laughs> over entertainment. You know, that that's probably been an experience I've had more than once in my life. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I would. I, the thing is that I'd probably rather mess with the mound and and make the velocity more hittable than mess with the strategy. But again, you know, I'm yeah, I'm geared fair. to love the strategy. Now, the the final thing on this list of things. I'm incredibly enthusiastic about, and I feel like most people aren't, which is larger bases. Uh, first of all, I don't think people know how much larger they are. They are way bigger. Like if you've seen pictures of these bases, <laughs> it's not a, a small little thing. It's a huge thing. And uh, I was actually doing a piece about this, and it's probably going to get bumped deep into the future because it's no longer uh, we're no longer in the bullshit speculation <laughs> mode, and actual things are happening. But I was do, do, looking at AAA because they instituted the larger bases in 2021. And they saw the stealing success rate go from 69.1, I believe, to 75.4. And the sample on that is sort of close to 4,000 attempts each season. So that's enough for me to believe that it's a significant effect. And I love the running game in baseball. Like we're just talking about entertainment. Like, the running game is entertainment plus strategy and risk tolerance. It's all of those things in one. It's athleticism, but there's also um, a major strategic component to it and some interesting like individual player cat and mouse, which you know sometimes that results in a million throws the bag, which is not what you want. But sometimes that's fun to, to think about timing a pitcher and you get a really good commentary when you're watching those situations where a guy's like building out his lead slowly and then he's baking like that is action it's a it's yeah, an, there's something happening um <laughs> and I, I i just i've always really enjoyed that and steals are falling away from the game and that is i think it's very often that people blame you know moneyball and sabermetrics for the decline of certain things and ruining the game and whatnot and that's often overstated but with the running game i think it's very much the case like they found that stealing bases you kind of had to reach this efficiency threshold to do it and mm -hmm. for a lot of players and a lot of teams they basically just stopped doing it because they felt like they couldn't hit that threshold now if more people are able to come across that threshold it just kind of democratizes the running game it's not just guys who are really good at it that can do it anymore and i think that could be a lot of fun yeah no i'm i'm totally with you there you know and uh, you know i've coming out of the the moneyball thing like which you know anybody who's listened to me or read my stuff for years that knows 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 about that uh nonetheless yeah like i understood why that why that disappeared and why those thresholds existed and why you know it just it doesn't make sense to to steal inefficiently um but yeah if that makes it better then 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 that is like that's action that's something happening on the field and that's like 
same with the with you know needing more hits like that's just something that i think the game could could do well with more of you know the three true outcomes are uh not not and as entertaining as other stuff happening um and so and, and i i do you know i don't like to give credit to, to, to mlb or, or any of these people in this this whole nonsense of the the you know shutting the game down for this long you know we're obviously pro player but um but yeah like i like i think that is a great like incremental tweak that uh that should help that also helps like avoid more collisions and stuff which you know player safety i think is also a, a, an aspect of it which is which is smart and good um you know where will it end? Will will the bases uh will the bases become fifteen times as large? I doubt. Will they span the entire gap between <laughs> until you're just running yeah. on base? Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. Thank you. But but yeah, this that's a small enough uh, change, even though. But I think it is like, yeah, I, I I didn't know the data to back it up that that you were looking at in the minor leagues, but like, you know, just uh. just those few like it's such it is such a game of inches and like those few inches do matter i mean and it will change it will change things hopefully maybe it it helps guys stay on the bag longer uh, i was just gonna say that reviews that's a big part of it is just getting rid of those absolutely bullshit plays where a guy very slightly over slides the bag and he's stolen the base easily and then the infielder just has to keep his glove on him even though and then we save, then we then we take about you know five minutes to to have oh, a that, look at that it. is my least yeah. favorite. That I think I was gonna say my least favorite play in baseball. That might be my least favorite thing about baseball. <laughs> I hate that <laughs> so, so much. Stupid. It is so against the spirit of the game and just actively making it worse. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Forget all the data. Forget player safety. If just that problem can be solved, then it's worth attacking. Fair into it. Last uh, thing with because we don't have I was I have our transaction explosion on my talking point sheet here, <laughs> but there's not a lot happening. Uh, Freddie Freeman maybe going to the Yankees soon. That'll be unfortunate if it happens for the Blue Jays. The last thing is the vaccination issue. Now, I, this sure. this was kind of surprising to me only because I hadn't thought about it. It wasn't now. It's when you stop to think about oh well like in the nhl they can't do it in nba they can't do it in lb of course they wouldn't be able to do it i just didn't really conceptualize it as part of this cba but i guess the cba yeah. encapsulates so much but the idea that players will be unable to come and play in canada if they're unvaccinated now that is about 12 percent of the player base so you know maybe two or three guys per team depending on the team for the red sox they might need to bring up the whole triple a <laughs> squad uh that's not an insignificant home field advantage depending on who the players are uh so i I get why people are getting stirred up about it the one thing that i would caution on it is that we've seen restrictions get rolled back uh you know fairly significantly in recent weeks and months and you know i'm not gonna be the one to predict how COVID 19 goes and whether there's another uh strain to come out that's gonna be change everything but it seems like cases go down when the weather gets warmer and people are doing more things outside. So I wouldn't be surprised if cases and hospitalizations continue to go down and restrictions continue to get rolled back. And this thing, which is such a talking point now, you know, in June is totally irrelevant. But early in the season, that's pretty significant. Yeah, it is. And well, and I think, I mean, I think the government of Canada has like, got rid of that exemption so i think that you know even though that's into the cba that's i think that would be in place anyway but i think what the interesting thing is that it's 
you don't get you don't get paid or service time for the these games which is which is going to which is a different kind of wrinkle like if you just got to you know last year had that been in place that guys would have just sat at home and not been able to cross the border but got paid and and, and continue to accrue service time so uh that you know and that as we know can be significant you know there like that changes when your free agency is that changes you know when your arbitration years are um and i don't know if they're using that as like a carrot just to get you know more of these idiots vaccinated but uh uh, but it's interesting, and it, it, you know, and it, yes, it's home field advantage. I think, I, I, you know, it seems like the Blue Jays are not going to have to like shuffle out any personnel because of this issue. But that would have been an issue as well. Like the Blue Jays can't employ anybody; they need to they need to know vac status before they trade for anybody. It's a whole thorny thing. Um, and I think you're right that it could entirely become irrelevant like relatively quickly. Um, but yeah, I, I think that that that. That could make for some uh, some funny moments this uh, early in the season, um, as in laughing at idiots who are you know are like literally giving up thousands and thousands of dollars to not to not and to, to just because they won't get vaccinated. Um, will it will look good on them and it will look good on the Blue Jays uh, because they'll have that advantage. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's weird. And you're right; I was very surprised that that was you know out part of the CBA. But it's it's interesting because let's say you're a Red Sox player and I haven't looked at the exact schedule, but hypothetically you could have as many as ten games in Toronto, so that's one sixteenth of the season. So if you're making sixteen million dollars, that's a million dollars. So who <laughs> who is willing to give up a million dollars to not be vaccinated? And then the service time, which even for players who aren't heading towards free agency, and we think of that as that's kind of the high stakes scenario is, oh, are we getting ARB? Are we getting free agency? Another really high stakes scenario is, are we getting 10 years of service time? Yeah. And any, What's my pension? Yeah, exactly. Like? And yeah. everyone in the league is working towards that. Now, most people will never get there, but there could be some high priced veterans, you know, in the $16 million plus area who could not only give up a million dollars if they don't do it, but might be giving up their chance at this pension. And it'll be interesting to see how that affects behavior. Like there probably might be some players who end up getting vaccinated as a result of this. Now we're talking about a handful of humans. I don't think it's going to make a big difference for the, you know, the course of the pandemic in general, uh, for their own sakes, it would be good. Uh, yeah, I know people are probably overstating this as some massive, massive home field advantage. It's just, especially the way that baseball is where two, three players, it could make a difference depending on the day, but it's not like Kyrie Irving, right? Where the Brooklyn Nets are a right. totally different team, whether he's on the court or not. Right. But it, it, it's also, a, it's weird. It's like a privacy thing, right? Like everybody knows Kyrie's un, unvaccinated. Uh, baseball, we largely don't. Or, you know, we were kind of, you know, there's been guesses about that on Twitter, you know, constantly since the vaccines came out about who's, who's doing it and who isn't. And uh, it's going to out guys real quickly. Which is uh, an interesting aspect of it. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not saying whether that's good or bad. It's probably. I mean, you know, health information should be private, but also I like that these guys should be shamed because he's getting a stupid vaccine. So, uh, so you know. Uh, but yeah, it is. It is weird, and it's going to be a weird little, like little spotlight on the Blue Jays. I think in particular because of just the the nature of of the border, uh, and uh, also I think people are going to be watching the Blue Jays this year. They're, uh, they're going to be good. I wouldn't be oh. totally shocked. And I'm not sure this is going to happen, but I wouldn't be shocked if this becomes like a weird Fox News talking point for like a day <laughs> at one point. Like some superstar player won't be able to play in Toronto 
And then, you know, you know those guys, you know the Tucker Carlson's and producers are always looking for something to be outraged about. They could be yeah. like, the, the pandemic is over and, like, these Canadians are ruining the chances of our good, like, I don't know, I think there might be some <laughs> some wild takes, I mean, probably from the American sports world, but I wouldn't... Yeah, here, to, here to weigh in is Kurt Schilling, yeah. I wouldn't be, I would not be shocked <laughs> if there's, like, a mini right-wing news ripple, which I would find uh, amusing, at the very least. Incredibly amusing. All right, well, let's leave, you know, it's always good to end on Tucker Carlson. So let's leave Jesus. leave it there today. Hopefully the next time we talk, uh, some things will have happened. And also, it's our expectation that we will be talking to you a lot more often in the weeks to come as real baseball begins. So we look forward to that, and hopefully you do too. And we will see you next time. <laughs>